0: Hi, everyone. Today we're going to do a SCTE Cable Tech Expo Wrap-Up. I'm Brady Volp, founder of the Volp Firm and Nimble This. With me today, back again, is John Downey, SCTE Technical Leader of Cisco Systems. John, welcome back.
1: Yeah, good to be back from Atlanta. Or virtual, Atlanta. Virtually,
0: we were there. So, yes, Cable Tech Expo was virtual again, yet again, this year. But I think it was actually an exceptional um, show. I had a really good time watching all the technical presentations, watched them all week long, and also participated in three of them. And it's still available. Expo will be available in all the presentations until November 14th. So I highly recommend that if you've not watched the show or not watched the technical sessions, sign up. The sign-up is still available. Uh, if we can get the laptop up, uh, anyone can go to expo.sete.org, attendee registration, uh, click the Register Now button, and you're still going to be able to go in and see all of the presentations that are there. John and I will be talking about some of the presentations uh, that are on the show, and if you also while you're there, um, you can go to nctatechnicalpapers.com/papers/2021, or just go to nctatechnicalpapers.com, and you will see all the papers. You can download the papers that were presented this year. There's a tremendous amount of papers. We'll be covering some of them today, and uh, download these papers. A lot of great information. So uh, Does that mean
1: go ahead. Mean all the the papers are on the NCTA site, but all the prezos and webinars, Zoom, are all on the SCTE site?
0: Correct. Yeah, so that, that's a good point. You, you will not get the content of the PowerPoint presentations nor the great rhetoric that everyone taught, you know, all the speakers, all the back and forth, of questions and things like that that happened. You have to sign up for Expo, if you have not already, to see those presentations uh, between now and November 14th before they're taken
1: down. So they're, they're probably taken down I assume they're taking them down for uh, all access but you never get rid of anything right I assume if you're an SCT member you'll probably have access to the information forever maybe <laughs> maybe Yeah,
0: I don't know you know I, I don't know um, from like from last year where where those videos are I, I don't see them anywhere. Like, and I don't know if there's any links. You're right. They're probably last, last somewhere like,
1: stored. And last year, I thought it was like six months they kept it on there, or it was more than one month.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, what they're saying right now is November 4 you've got to watch everything you want by November 14th. After that, the content is going to be gone. <laughs> what that means, I don't know. Because, like, it seems, it almost looks like they're YouTube videos based on the, the way that they're, the way they play out and everything. But I, I don't know if they have some other repository where the videos are actually stored. Yeah. So, John, I know, um, so SCTE is now a subsidiary of Cable Labs, and, and that's the relationship between SCTE and Cable Labs. And, John, I, I, I know you wanted to talk about the relationship between NCTA, where the actual papers are stored. Um, yeah, so,
1: yeah. yeah. So even during the, the presentations, I was following along in the chat windows uh, this week. And I, I saw even Ron wrote down, Ron Haneck, he wrote said, oh, so the papers will be at NCTA. But I'm like, he just make a mistake. <laughs> Ron doesn't make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> True I'm like, that. why did he put NCTA? Then I realized, oh, we were doing this, SCT is doing this in collaboration with NCTA. There's no more NCTA. Um, what was that show called um, that we used to go to every year? NCTA... Um,
0: I don't remember the name of the show you- either, but it was it was normally in like Washington D C or, or was, Boston.
1: Yeah, it was always in, Boston, in the northeast. Chicago. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I lost the name of the show. Someone, uh, someone. I think, someone I think it was just show. called
1: the NCTA show or something. Yeah. Uh, and that one, it went to Boston, and it kind of just fizzled out. Too many conferences going on the same year. Yeah, we used to have to the Western like,
0: show, the cable show. Yeah. There was um, Emerging Technologies. There used to be so many shows. And now we're down yeah. to Expo, a virtu- <laughs> which is a virtual show now. So.
1: And the Emerging Technologies is sort of like the NCTA. It's like papers and presentations on and higher-level stuff. So I see, you know, everything kind of comes together, and uh, now the NCTA is going to be hosting our papers, and and those papers are really in depth. You know, you and I, you do a a thirty minute presentation, but we end up with a twenty five page paper, so it's really like in depth those papers.
0: Yeah, and the the papers are, you know, the presentation is fantastic because you have the sort of the author's intent, and and they're really communicating what is in the paper. But I, I so encourage everyone to read the papers because there is so much more content in the papers than you actually get in the PowerPoint or the presentation. And now that all the papers are electronics, for those of us who are attending the show 10, 15 years ago, we used to get these really thick books that contained all the papers. Those books are still like sitting on the shelves, but you couldn't search through the books You know, like you can with the papers and having NCTA hosting these papers is such a wonderful thing because now, you know, with Google, you can search it, they come up in search engines, you download the papers, you have them electronically, you can carry them around (laughs) so much more easier than these big, thick books that we used to get when we attended Expo. And they're accessible to everyone not just those of us who paid for Expo and, and actually went and attended Expo. So I love the fact that NCTA is hosting them. So again, nctatechnicalpapers.com. Highly recommend everyone goes there. If you've not downloaded them, download them and start going through them. Even if you're not attending the sessions, these papers will help get you up to speed. But I still do recommend, you know, if you're not already registered at SCTE Expo, and catch the sessions um, that are all recorded before they run out by November fourteenth.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I uh, I'm more look at technology, and I don't try to sell stuff. And um, but when I do a presentation, I was told don't put in CLI command line interface, actual commands because it's Cisco centric. Don't go too deep into Cisco stuff. But in the paper, I would because I knew people that wanted step by step instructions. Like, how do I get a partial service? I can put it in the paper, but I couldn't put it in the presentation. Right. So yeah, that's why my papers ended up being 20, 25 pages long. Cause I was more meat and potatoes. I wanted to make sure it was like actual information that people could use, not, well, you need to think about this. <laughs> Most of the presentations you watch is up. Well, you really should take into consideration or you need to think about this. And of course I thought about that. That's why I'm here listening to you. I'm hoping you give me some information I can use. So I used to, I would, that's why I would put very specific information into my papers. If yep. you so just go to the paper, you'll see it.
0: So um, starting off, are, are there any presentations that you saw that you just absolutely want to recommend to anyone? I know I have a few, a couple that I'm going to throw out, but
1: well, I got to recommend gonna... yours. <laughs> I got to recommend yours. The PMA. I thought the PMA was good. Um, you know, there's there's a trade-off in everything we do, and the PMA. Tell everyone what PMA stands for. Proactive. <laughs> no, it's not proactive.
0: Anytime I get a P, I want to say P. It's the Profile Management Application, and um, I, I also want to say there the the presentation that came right before me um, by Kathy Fox. She talked about water soaked cable and how you can detect that. Um, uh, those issues in there. So, so let me. I'm right up on a screen here. I have all the presentations. You can filter by date. So my my presentation was on Wednesday, October fifth. I'm showing that up here so I can just find that one.
1: The 13th. <laughs> not October thirteenth, not October fifth. October <laughs>
0: thirteenth. You're right. Yeah, you're Thank here. you for oh, catching please. that. So oh. it was down here. So this is kind of what you get when you go into the virtual experience. Um I'm just looking for it down here. I know I had a heart. So here this was this was the presentation. New tricks in proactive network maintenance like finding water and drop cables. So if you know for those anyone who has not seen these presentations this is the experience that you get. You can go in and click watch again. Uh, this comes up. Um, you'll have a presenter that starts speaking. I'm just going to skip just a little paper, bit ahead. It became the same sentence that you will but be presenting. But this is Kathy so talking that's about, about her her presentation. Me today. We're using the upstream more and people hey, are uploading she, more things. But with all the streaming video, so cool. everybody who's watching. She did such a fantastic job in her presentation talking about water-soaked cables, what you see. But even more, she went into the importance of the craftsmanship things that technicians should look out for, things that they should do when they're properly connectorizing cables, uh, just a, a lot of important information about how you can prevent water getting into coax cables, what happens when water gets into the cables, how we can detect that using full band capture, and she just really, really nailed that down. And now my presentation that followed hers, and she was a tough act to follow, but mine focused on how um, this profile management application or PMA can help improve OFDM and OFDMA, how it can get more speed out of it for end subscribers and also make it more robust. And that's that's basically what the profile management application does.
1: And the more, I mean, it's going to add more complexity uh, and you might need an external server or computation to uh, take into account, you mentioned could be close to 8,000 subcarriers per modem. It's like 7,600 and some subcarriers per modem. And you're trying to track that over time and hundreds of modems, thousands of modems. So something has to store that information and look at thresholds, not just in one area of spectrum, but all the subcarriers for that modem and decide can I make a profile that suits that modem and I don't just drop it from 4k qualm down to 256 qualm for the whole spectrum when only this sliver of spectrum is bad for that modem. I need to maybe make something that says, you know what, don't schedule traffic in that spectrum where it's bad for that modem or drop the modulation to 64 qualm just in that part of spectrum where it might have LTE interference, but don't do it for everybody. Just do it for that one guy. You know, so it's, that, that's where it gets more complex, right? That's where we're talking about machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, any other acronyms or <laughs> bombastic words we can throw out there. Correct. But, you know, going back to going back to Kathy's, the one thing, because we had uh, Larry Walcott on that one time talking about it, and I thought it was really interesting, very focused discussion on water and a cable, which was great, um, very targeted topic, but the difference between seeing it frozen versus Thaw it out. Yes. And so when the water is frozen, it looks fine. There's no impairments when the water is frozen. You're changing the, the, the velocity propagation or the density of the dielectric. It yes. looks like it's thicker again or denser again. Whereas when the water comes in there, now that water, I believe, you talk about skin effect and the RF and the RF traveling on the waveguide. A coax is a waveguide. Center conductor to outer conductor, the RF is a waveguide through the dielectric. If dielectric has water in it, you're changing the properties of the dielectric.
0: And the water's not always there because we get dry times and warm times or you know, wet times. So yeah, imagine yeah. how complicated this is for technicians to troubleshoot something like that. Subscribers complaining, maybe the technician goes there when it's when it's freezing out or they go there when it's dry and then you know it rains or it warms up and the subscriber calls back and says you were just here yesterday but my problem's back again so really really challenging problems
1: talk about drip loops you know uh i I didn't bring it i was going to throw the chat list or the q a it's like sometimes you get that overzealous technician that wants to staple the coax to the side of the house and they're creating basically micro bends or macro bends whichever way you look at it they're creating impedance mismatches in the coax and it also you mentioned about you know if water gets sucked in it doesn't mean the water is going to be right there where it gets sucked in correct contraction expansion it gets sucked all the way through the cable and end up maybe maybe mid-span because the cable kind of loops down a little bit you don't know where the water might end, end up
0: correct So so there were were three presentations on advanced analytics. There was like advanced analytics one of three, cable and digital twins, Um, advanced analytics two of three, advanced tools for plant-wide data, and then advanced analytics uh, three of three, proactive and predictive maintenance. And all three of these kind of had a common theme about how machine learning uh, really helps Basically, make everything better when we're trying. You, know, we have so much data coming at us because we've gone from you know DOCSIS 1.0, 2.0 used to be so easy to analyze when we had just one downstream, one upstream. Now we've gone to you know DOCSIS 3.1, looking at DOCSIS 4.0, where 32 downstreams, a couple of OFDM channels, maybe one or two OFDMA channels. It's a lot of data to, to sift through. So the big focus on these advanced analytics um, sessions was how we're applying machine learning and AI uh, to DOCSIS, um, also even into things like you know, how we're managing backends, how we're managing uh, all, all the types of data and infrastructure that we have in our networks. Uh, there were also sessions on how we're manag- using machine learning to even do things like deploy virtual CMTSs. George Salinger had a, a, a nice presentation on that, how Comcast is doing that. So it's it's really Exciting to see some of these sessions. How you know we're going from um, just the way we used to do things to a DevOps model to how we're deploying things automatically with software to to really deploy things quickly at scale and to get um, you know five nines availability through that. So I don't know if you saw those sessions, but they're really exciting sessions.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I you know that's the direction. Everything's going software driven. Um, And it's going to make, with all the visibility we have of the newer equipment, we need to figure out how to harness all that information and process it. Um, Sometimes more is not better. Uh, (laughs) Then we just get confused, or we don't know what to do with the information, or it ends up throwing up red flags everywhere. So we don't want to have thresholds that are just making our job worse. We're trying to get the information and sort it properly and react on it appropriately. but yeah, it, it's definitely a new world as far as, you know, how do I uh, take capacity and move it around in my network virtually, which is exactly what you're talking about with George and saying, all right, I need to spin up another CMTS. Well, that's just a server. And I can do a virtual CMTS right there and I can allocate more, more uh, speed and all, uh, have the RF out in the field with DAA and all that. Um, it, it'll be interesting on that front, um, One word of caution I was always thinking about was what if I have a node in California and a node in Atlanta and I'm like, I want to combine those two nodes into one server because they were both underutilized and this one server can handle them so I can share. But that one in California has a SIN, a converged interconnect network that's 3000 miles long and Atlanta might only have 200 miles. Is it smart for me to combine those two? If they're both doing remote backfie, it's probably no big deal. But if they're both doing remote fi, it will be a big deal.
0: Yep. But
1: but isn't so, it cool yeah, have to, to have to
0: these types of problems? Because you're like, oh, we'll just spin up another CMTS that's just a server. Yeah. It, it it's almost jaw dropping to be having these conversations because you and I have like spent. pretty much most of our careers, you know, working on big iron servers, and now we're talking about servers that are just, or or CMTSs, and now we're talking about servers that are, CMTSs that are just servers that we can spin up at will as we need them, and maybe collapse them, uh, you know, because they they're they're undercapacitated, underutilized, so we'll just, yeah, we'll just collapse them together, but we have to think, well, do we collapse them because, you know, is that a problem? Because they're too far apart. Really exciting stuff. So, there was, a, I thought, there was a lot of really good lessons learned. There was, you know, a presentation that Jay Zhu from Cable Labs, Larry Wilcott from Comcast, and, and Alberto Campos, also from from Cable Labs, presented on everything you wanted to know about OFDMA for the upstream path. I thought this was a very good presentation. That they had recommend everyone see this. So they really went into you know kind of like lessons learned and, and how how things can be optimized, um, modems, node segmentation, things like that. So uh, yet again another good
1: presentation. I highly but recommend one one how oh, do I put this lightly? It was <laughs> like it was his wheelhouse, but it wasn't. Like I think of Alberto as PNM, the 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 godfather of PNM almost. Right? Indeed, he is. Yes. SCT, he showed it at SCTE. I'm like, damn, that's pretty cool. Oh, he that's showed exactly it. And I was what like, I what? Do. I don't understand. I mean, that's what I do with, <laughs> uh, with Acturna's uh, FDR, the frequency domain yeah. reflectometry, understanding you know, 492 times velocity propagation, looking standing waves. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And he was doing that. This was 15 years ago, whatever it was. And it was him doing it. I'm like, I understand this perfectly. It works well. Uh, now we have the information from the taps from the upstream equalization of the modems to do the same thing, find a distance to the fault or distance between two, two faults like a vacuum, right? Yep. Um, and I, and when he did his presentation a couple of days ago, I'm like, this is really not what I expected from him because he talked about, I believe taking coax to 18 gigahertz, 30 gigahertz. And how much capacity could we really get out of COAX? And then I was listening. I'm like, this literally is a pipe dream. <laughs> it's a pipe and it's a dream. But do I really want to even think about this if it's something that might not happen for 10 years, 15 years? And I get it. It's like one of those things that would have been perfect for emerging technologies. But when I think of SETE, I think of what can I do today? What can I exploit today yep. to get more speed or optimize my network? And that was something that's like, our coax has plenty of, what do you call it, uh, uh, runway. Our, our coax has plenty of runway. If we, if we want to go, Dox is 5.0, which is not even out, right? And I was like, so I was listening in and I'm like, that's great and all, but I'm not, I'm hoping I'm retired before that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, well, the challenge is is here's where we are on a smartness scale, and like Alberto is off the scale. I know. <laughs> and, and, I know. and what I, I like... found, because I've known him for many years, it does seem like the things that he's work, works on come to fruition like five to ten years after he's working on them, so I, I, I would be very, I'm, I would not be surprised if his concepts actually, you know they will, they will likely come true. He's, he's a very smart man.
1: And the one thing that I did find interesting from that was we all know coax has more loss at higher frequencies and all that. And obviously, we're doing fiber deeper and deeper. We're trying to shrink coax as low as possible. And even alluded to in the house, you're probably going to get rid of all the coax in the house and go to a gateway. Yeah. And the gateway from the house will be wireless. It'll be Bluetooth. It'll be Ethernet. There'll be no coax in the house. So get rid of that. So the only coax we're dealing with is your drop cable. And maybe we're remote PHY or remote backfire to attack, and so that's all we have. So what can that drop cable do? And what was interesting is the smaller it was, the dimensions of the coax affected the I think intermodal distortion or something that got worse with not the attenuation issue we all know about. It was something really it, it, I didn't even think about that part of it because we never think about going past. 1.2 gigahertz. Um, and he was talking about way up. I, I kind of wish we would have focused on 3 gigahertz because I thought that was the next stepping stone for where DOCSIS 4.0 and maybe beyond was 3 gigahertz. But he was just talking about, theoretically, how far could we push COAX?
0: Yes. So, I, you know, you mentioned, though, modems like being the gateway. And, and that was one of the presentations. I, I, I wish I could remember who talked about modems being the gateway. I don't know if you remember John. But one of the key things that um, uh, they talked about that, you know, we're not going to have set-top boxes as we know them today. It's going to be Wi-Fi. But an important aspect of it was we won't have to deal with in-home amplifiers. And I know a lot of cable operators now who are doing that migration from 42 megahertz to 85 megahertz, or even a, a, a few of them are doing it to 204 megahertz. In-home amplifiers are a huge problem when we have a diplex filter in that in-home amplifier of 42 megahertz, and now we're trying to go to 85 megahertz. And that was that was sort of a key point of saying having that gateway, as you mentioned, really helps with not having the in-home wiring issues that we have today, not having in-home amplifiers. So a lot of that goes away by having that that demarcation. Of, yeah, of the, the, the gateway house filters, yeah, all that things, you know, know. Oh, no more mocha know. too. That was also another critical yeah. point to say. We're not going to have the mocha issues that we're dealing with, or yeah. HPNA, or any of those other items that we have. So
1: huge yeah, benefits with in- that. The um, the if we have a gateway that has no coax coming out of it, then we yeah like you said we don't have to worry about that. But then we got to make sure maybe it's centrally located so with good Wi-Fi coverage. It's probably going to be Wi-Fi six or I heard they're working on Wi-Fi seven or yeah, something like well, that. Yeah, Wi-Fi seven was talked um, about. But I mean that gives us good coverage within the house, and then we're just doing Ethernet and no more coax and RF problems in the house. I mean, it doesn't mean we don't have Ethernet or other noise problems. I mean, trade one for another. Wi-Fi could have, you know, back in the old days, microwave oven is the same 2.4 gigahertz as the original 802.11a, BN, whatever it was, right? Uh, 2.4 gigahertz and maybe 5 gigahertz where it's 12, but it doesn't go through your stucco wall that has chicken wire for the stucco. So it doesn't go through the wire mesh mall or wall. Uh, so yeah, it's always gonna be some other issue we deal with, but, uh, getting rid of the coax and the filters and the stuff that's in your house you don't even know about. Um, I'm dealing with those house amp issues today. And even though we have smart devices on both ends, the CMTS and cable modem can talk to each other. The cable modem can tell, hey, here's my capabilities. Here's my diplex filter built in. The house amplifier doesn't have that smarts. So the CMTS has no idea what's in between. Cable modem is telling the CMTS, yeah, I'm capable of 85 megahertz. Okay, let me assign you to a bonding group that goes up to 85. And guess what? It doesn't work because it has no idea about the filter in between that happens to be a house amp. And these are the things that we have to deal with.
0: So um, another presentation, I I just got two more I want to plug. One was done by BTR, and it was uh, 5G, friend or foe. And the conversation was really amazing because they talk. You know, it, it can go both ways. It depends on whether or not cable operators are aggressive with five who who
1: G. Who gave that one?
0: It was BTR. Uh, it was it, it was yeah. I think it was BTR magazine. They had uh, uh, like a workshop on it. I think and I think John Chapman was in on that. Um, I know John Chapman was in on that because he did a, a, a he did a I talk. I
1: I actually I actually uh, offered that as a title. To John and some other people, I said I'd really like to see that. Very. 5G good. friend or foe? Yep, and it's probably both. It's probably yes. And, the answer and is yes. It, is,
0: it is yes. And, and and there was another part of it that I really liked. It towards the end, they talked about you know it, it does come. There's there's an there's a business opportunity out there for a lot of people. Like you could have John's 5G network. And this you know, is really part of the discussion where they just basically said, it, you know, Joe's 5G network or something like that. And then you can lease it. You can lease it to the cable operators. You can lease it to the telcos. Basically, it becomes a shared network, you know, general access to it. So if it's basically whoever gets to the area first and deploys that 5G network is going to make the money off of it. And I think yeah. that's the interesting part is, you know, it's kind of like you said, It's it can be either or. So the cable operator gets there first and deploys that 5G, they're going to lease it to the telcos. Uh, if no one gets there first, it could be John's 5G network in your area if you're deploying it. Uh, but they also made a lot of good points about 5G, that, it, you know, it's a very small wave that's coming out It's it's. It's going to, you know, it doesn't go through windows, doesn't go through houses. Um, so there are a lot of limitations. And they did talk about the marketing hype around 5G, that 5G is not all what it's cracked up to be. will give you fast speed if you have kind of, you know, short point of access to the 5G yeah. cell. Um, but it, it was a very, very good discussion, I thought, at least on that. So I recommend if you did not catch that, uh, listen to the 5G friend or foe. It was very good.
1: You know, what would be interesting is I'm thinking about outages and you and I talked earlier about outages and having a backup plan and just think if like your network outside was pretty sturdy about a backup network and you had 5G over So you have the 5G, um, uh, whatever the terminology is for the, the NID or whatever, and you had a cell phone doing 5G. Uh, even if the house, your power went out at your house, but your network was still up and running that could be your backup for internet access right absolutely. so your motor goes out your pc might be a laptop so it's got a battery uh your phone is like a pc itself but you could use the 5g aspect of your phone still get internet access hook up the laptop through the phone's 5g and it's actually communicating to a network that's still up and running
0: yep absolutely so The very last session, and I think this was the best session of all, from my personal opinion, but this was the, uh, it's done on Thursday. This is the Innovation Theater PM Live 2021. And this was all about um, really taking all, you know, how to troubleshoot RF impairments, what, you know, what creates a suckout, what creates a standing wave, seeing these actually being troubleshoot shot in the field by technicians. Um, how we how we saw them using PNM, and then how to solve them. And so this was you know, all live stuff going on um, during the whole presentation, technicians uh, doing the work. I, I, I love these PNM live events because it just brings so much of the, uh, you know, brings things home of really solving problems in the field. These are these are one of my favorites. Uh, we did it last year. We did it again this year, and hopefully, we'll do it again next year. John, I think you didn't see this one, but I'd recommend you go back and watch it because this is so they, much up our.
1: Up did, our they say who's ne- did they say whose network it was, or for liability reasons, they wouldn't say? Yeah,
0: we, we didn't. We didn't necessarily say where any of the the actual troubleshooting came from, but. Uh, yeah. Cut that stuff off. But the amplifier we're looking at there was a, a um, old GI Motorola GI amplifier, and the problems, you know, it was just like grounding problems. Um, it, so common was calling suckout, causing suckouts and resonant peaks. And I think this kind of thing is just so like nuts and bolts that every technician should be able to see this and and it's information that is so applicable everywhere because you run into this stuff and you you may think you kind of understand, you know, why am I getting this suck out or why am I getting this standing wave? We cover that in this discussion. And there's like, you know, Ron Rannick is here, uh, Larry Wilcott, Jason Roop, mm-hmm. myself, um, James Medlock. Um, so all of us have been through this so many times and we just covered like these basic things. So, Definitely. And this is not covered in any paper. So you absolutely have to sign up for. XPO see well, I, I see
1: work. I see a business here. I see an opportunity where you have people that are retiring, people that have, uh, may work from home. They have some free time. You say, hey, uh, I need some help. And it might be, say, Comcast. Hey, I need some help. Ron's like, hey, yeah, I have a little bit of time, like three o'clock. OK, we're going to do some troubleshooting. Let me know what you think. And then all the heads come together and say, well, try this. Well, usually that indicates water. Try this, you know. And you could have um, so uh, I, crowdsourced, I think crowd-sourced like me, help. you, and
0: Ron, I, I could yeah. see a, a perfect
1: <laughs> opportunity here for us. Crowdsourced <laughs> help. And whoever comes up with the answer gets a bonus, yeah. gets a ten. <laughs> then it becomes a competition between all of us.
0: Yes. <laughs> so that's, that's no, my I mean, last really. one. Anything else from your side that you – was well, I mean
1: John John Chapman did one on his own. I think it was like a half hour uh, from the CTO or whatever it said. and he talked and he, had a, he has a nice spreadsheet that breaks down. Oh, he mentioned was made- he was going
0: to share that spreadsheet on LinkedIn. So I have not seen that one um John's yet. I, yeah. So I watched episodes or I watched these all this week. i I will probably be watching these for the next because there's a lot I didn't get to see. I'll probably still be watching them, so I, I'll definitely catch John's um in the in the next couple of days.
1: And he broke down how, you know, if we get rid of the MPEG-2 video and go IP video, obviously we open up so much spectrum, do more DOCSIS 3.1, more speed. And he broke down the different splits and said, you know, here's a 42, an 85, a 204 with the 1.2 down, or if we go 1.8 down, we can do a higher split in the upstream. And then also if we do FDX. So I did see a few things on like FDX and and, and Comcast saying they're, uh, I think Robert Howold and some other people uh, said they're making some good headway. Yep. Uh, I think uh, Rich Proton said that uh, they were surprised that the Doxis 40 FDX cutoff points were just as good as Doxis 31 because they were thinking that the echo cancellation was going to add a little bit more uh, worse response. And um, and I wrote a question in there, and, and they did answer it. And I wrote a question in there, and that was, are you saying it's kind of breaking where the spec says it breaks? Because we already know one is probably 60 B more robust than the spec says. You and I know, like, right. the spec says 4K QAM needs this. Well, we all know 40 DBM, it's actually 40 more robust than we thought. And we have about 60 B window there yep. of, of conservative range. So then I asked that question, and it says, now, we're still running 3-1 modulation, right, over a DOCSIS 4.0 system. The DOCSIS 4.0 system is just whether it's ESD or FDX. Uh, but if I do FDX, that isolation between downstream and upstream, echo cancellation, gives me more isolation. Like, how much, how much does it help? How much does it hurt? And uh, I still see FDX as, if I do N plus 1, N plus 2, and have to do echo cancellation and amplifiers, it was a good presentation on, and I think it might have been technetics at one time. Um, when you look at interference groups, transmission groups, as soon as you put the amplifiers in and look at reflections coming back and echo cancellation not being able to cancel everything, instead of having different interference groups, that N plus X, that whole area becomes an interference group.
0: Yeah, I would say so, Com- Comcast is definitely um, feeling much more confident that FDX is going to work the rest of the industry is still saying they're going with ESD in DOCSIS
1: 4.0. I think if you do N plus zero, maybe N plus one, FDX is going to be a, a good way to go without having to go to 1.8 gigahertz downstream. So you can stick with the taps and everything you have today, um, and that will give us a, a, a virtual split on the upstream, upstream, downstream, and get more more speeds. But uh, I wrote in I wrote in the chat. I like I wrote kiss. Keep, keep it simple, it simple. <laughs> keep it simple and uh, i think that's where we're we're leaning away from that when we talk about fdx but um if we have other things in place to keep track like we talk about machine learning and artificial intelligence to keep us in line then so be it and hopefully hopefully more complexity makes it simpler i don't know <laughs>
0: well we will find out i'm i am excited to see what happens with fdx so If you're watching, uh, I'd love to hit the subscribe button and the notification bell for upcoming episodes, everyone. So, yeah, so I think uh, I think Expo Virtual was uh, an absolute success this year. Great sessions, um, great content by everyone. And I I definitely recommend if uh, if you've not joined up to watch it, everyone definitely uh, sign up and catch the episodes or at the very least download the technical papers and watch those.
1: When you read them. When, when you read them, it's a lot of content. There's
0: a lot of technical papers there. So watching the sessions definitely takes a lot I like time. what you said
1: about, you know, once you have it and you can search through it. And someone might have said, hey, uh, someone mentioned TLB 24. Well, then I can just type in TLV 24 and see if I can <laughs> it's find the up, information. Yep. I don't have to fiddle through uh, 500 pages of a uh, proceedings manual just to find out where it is, right? right. So it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of nice to be able to search things a lot easier now. All right. So
0: nctatechnicalpapers.com, you'll find the technical papers. And uh, expo, expo.scte.org, you can still sign up and watch the episodes until November 14th. That's going to be the cutoff. So I think that's all we got for today, John. Um, anything else you want to plug before we wrap it up?
1: Um, I think uh, you caught me uh, dumbfounded. I don't think uh, that doesn't happen too often. often. I don't know. Yeah, really. I don't know if everyone caught that that uh, curveball I threw at you about the PMA. That was a tough question. Is, uh, I, I yeah, I yeah. didn't have an answer for. It, but. <laughs> and, and it was a loaded. It was a loaded question, right? I'm like, I wrote in there. I let everyone hear it. Uh, is it better for a three modem to go to partial mode or to just let it run at a lower three profile? Like if I can go four K qualm and then my MERS come back nasty, and I drop it to uh, sixty four qualm or two fifty six qualm at what point is it better just to drop it to the old docsis 3.0 mode and force it to run traffic over the single carrier qualm am i starving out the other 3.0 modems by having a 3.1 modem use the single carrier qualm uh,
0: that's the or whole point why we move the 3.1 modems up? to the to the ofdm channel
1: it's like it's six one half dozen the other it's yeah. kind of like if if i have a bunch of 3.1 modems trying to share a 3.1 signal and one modem is eating up more time on the wire because it's running lower modulation I'm kind of screwing everybody else up from running higher modulation. It's not as efficient. So there's got to be some inflection point where you're like, you know, I'll let it run down to 256 QAM and maybe I can always keep it online. But at some point I should say, start running more traffic over the single carrier QAM at 256 QAM than to utilize time in the wire for OFDM when I have other modems that could use that same time more efficiently at 4K QAM. You understand it's yeah it's, it's a matter of efficient usage of spectrum and time
0: and you also ask you know is it okay to leave a have a modem run at profile zero which is the default profile for a modem to register with a cmts and it's actually a question i i thought for myself then well what happens if the modem continues to run at profile zero is that a problem does the cmts care does the modem care
1: well, uh, your neighbors care. So let's say you're running, you're running a profile zero, and it's, like I said, 2 just long. You want to do one gigabyte of traffic transfer. With that type of speed, with that type of spectrum, let's say for the sake of arguments, one second of time. I could have done that same amount of one gigabyte of traffic maybe in 0.3 seconds. Mm-hmm. You just took up 3x more time on the wire. We're all sharing that same pipe.
0: But we're at 256 qualm. That's the same that I would have if I was running a DOCSIS three o. So what does it matter at that point?
1: But that modem moved over to the 3.0 uh, opens up that time on the more efficient 3.1 spectrum for everybody else to use it more efficiently and more effectively. The, the, per modem and per customer, they don't see a difference. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to use that spectrum as efficiently as possible by moving off the low liars and the slow guys why not just move them to the slow pipe you know to be honest i always thought this would be a good patent thing to, to, to list as a patent is anyone that's running lower than their capability also give them a quality of service that's lower like if i sign up for one gigabit per second but i'm not doing full bonding i'm doing partial mode where i drop down to 20 mode i shouldn't get a quality of service more than say 50 megabits per second. Yes, I limited you down. I rate limited you down. I also don't want you to eat up the pipe for everybody else. And I should raise a flag that says, hey, go out and fix him. Right. If we don't raise a flag and the guy's getting good speed, but his speed is screwing up other people, well, how is that efficient use of my spectrum and my time? You know, I, I... yeah, that's where the machine learning and proper SNMP IPDR and everything else and controlling abusers or in this case it wasn't an abuser. It was more like a denial of service it's, attack. The guy working non optimally. Yeah, he's in paired mode, but his quality of service, his CM file still is listed at one gigabit per second. Yep. <laughs> so it'll get there. It'll get there.
0: All right. That was a good, it was a good question you asked. You caught me off guard uh, you know, live. I thank you for that, John. <laughs> On purpose. It
1: was good. All
0: right. So we're going to wrap this up. Um, I want to thank uh, some people in our chat room. Hi, Levy. Hi, Brian. Thanks for joining. And Mr. Green, uh, yes, it is uh, like $199 or $200 U.S. dollars to uh, sign up for Cable Tech Expo, but I do think that $200 is worth every penny of it for all the content that you get and hopefully your employer will compensate you for you because it, it is so much good content on, the, there. Paper the, on the, paper the, the papers are free to download from ncta um uh the the ncta site yes there's no cost okay. for that but you don't get the you don't get the content from expo of, of listening to the speakers and seeing their presentations
1: So, so what, someone in the company is going to download it and they're going to watch it all together
0: <laughs> you can't stop them from doing that <laughs> all right john thanks for your time today thanks everyone for tuning in and uh we'll see you uh in a couple of weeks for
1: our next episode so long all take care